All right, guys. We are ready to get started. Thank you so much for making it. You did a good job. I mean, we're like close to on time even. That's pretty amazing. Um, as you come in and as you grab your stuff every morning, back by that table over there, you'll see what you need. And, and today there's, there's two things to make sure you pick up. There's the blue, the new creation in Christ handout that you need. And then you also need the yellow paper-clipped section of papers. So you got to have both of those today. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, go through, run through what the build disciplines are in review. Scott's going to do that in a minute. And then um, we're going to go right into small groups for about 40, 45 minutes or so. And then we'll come back and we'll do the teaching part through the yellow sheet of paper. Okay? But before we go any further, let's pray. Let's ask God to meet with us this morning as we... Uh, uh, gathered together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for a new day. Um, hope of new mercies from you. Loving kindness that never fails. Knowing that because of your promises to us in Jesus Christ, that nothing can separate us from your love. That you are committed to are becoming more and more holy, Lord, it stands before us today. That's your commitment. And Father, we want to um, humble ourselves before you, and we want to seek your face this morning through your word. We want to do it together as men who desire your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, that desire for your son came from you. It came from your regenerating work. You have made us into new creatures in Christ who desire him. And I pray, God, that you would um, unite our hearts more and our minds more with your mind in Scripture. That as you reveal to us what you have done in salvation, that, God, we would agree and that we would rejoice and that we would fight for holiness of life and we would fight against sin and that we would become more godly men as a result. Bless our time together this morning, Lord. And we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Scott, why don't you come on up? All right. Good morning, guys. Thanks for being here. This is my maiden voyage of doing the build disciplines this year, so bear with me. I just found out that this podium moves. All right. So um, we want to look at the build disciplines. We're going to look at them every Saturday we meet together because um, not that we don't remember them, but it's important to keep them in front of us throughout our year. And we hope that these disciplines become part of your heart and part of your affection and part of your practice in your walk with the Lord. Um, so the first of our disciplines is the heart. And if you're a believer and you're here today and you've trusted Christ with salvation, Oh, yeah. Can you tell it's my maiden voyage? This is my assistant. He's helping you do all Right, on the back of your notebooks, you will see the build disciplines. We have them for you. Um, that's so that you can read them and you can remember them. Um, the first one is our heart. And as I was saying, if you're a believer and you've trusted Christ, God did something remarkable when he saved you. That is that he used his Holy Spirit to pour his love into us. His love actually was poured into us through the agency of the Holy Spirit, and that gave us new affections, affections for God and affections for the body of Christ, affections for our brother. 
And that was something that we never had before. But it also produced something in us, something else in us that we never had before either, and that is a tension within us. Because in addition to having affections for God, we still have the body of flesh that we were born with, that we were created with, a body of flesh that still is subject to the appeals, the appeals and the, the wants of this world. So there's a tension there. And apart from the gospel, um, those affections will never go away. Those, those appeals from the world will never go away. And Galatians 5 talks about that. It talks about how um, there's a war within us and the spirit conflicts with the flesh and the flesh sets itself against the spirit and they're at war with one another so that we may not do the things that we please. And as believers, um, although we're believers, we, in our flesh, will always be inclined to respond to those appeals of the world and those appeals to the flesh. Apart from one thing, and that is the shepherding of our heart. What we mean here when we talk about the shepherding of our heart is primarily two things. The first is the intake of God's word into our life, the intake of God's word through reading it and meditating on it, praying over it. God's word is God's revelation of himself to us. When we sit down with God's word open before us, and we take in God's word, we're actually taking in God's revelation of himself. Understanding God's Perspective, God's view, God's design on the world. So when we are regularly taking God's word into our lives, we are preparing ourselves well to deal with the appeals of the flesh and the things that appeal to the flesh. The other way in which we shepherd our heart here at this church is by communicating back to God. He communicates to us in his word, and we communicate back to him in prayer. The discipline of the heart is found in a person who regularly is in meaningful conversation with God. They're sharing their affections with God. They're they're explaining to God how they love God, and they're so thankful for what God has done for them. And they express that regularly, remembering the gospel and what God did to save them, what he saved them from, what he saved them to, where they are right now, their current identity in Christ. So when a person does that, they're shepherding themselves well by a regular intake of God's word in their life and speaking back to God regularly with a a healthy, rich, deep prayer life, they are well suited to wage war with the appeals of the flesh. And so that is our first discipline here this year, and it always is, and it's the heart. First and foremost, we want to be people that, guys that that care for our heart, and we shepherd our heart primarily through the reading of the word and through a healthy, active prayer life with God. And when you have that, and you're a guy who shepherds yourself well and your own heart well, that is when you are ready to step into the first place that God has for you to step into with a a heart that is well shepherded. That is your home. If you're a married man, that means God has equipped you and you are now ready to interact well with your wife and any kids that God may have given you. This may be a way in which God has for you to be ready to be a servant leader with your wife. You are best qualified to be a servant leader, husband to your wife when you're regularly shepherding your own heart with the word and prayer. If you have kids, that is the way that you are best qualified to exercise wise, gracious, kind, gentle, firm authority with your kids is when you're shepherding your own heart. You say, well, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I'm single. Well, shepherding your own heart is is God's design for you to be the best roommate that you can possibly be. When you're shepherding your heart, that is when you are ready to be kind 
and reliable and reasonable and pleasant to the guys that you live with. If you're a son, that is the way that God has for you to be the best son you can be in your own home, to any siblings that you have, the parents that God has given to you. It's by shepherding your own heart in prayer and in the word. So keep track of those things. The first discipline is our heart. When we're shepherding our heart well, we take that into the second discipline, which is our home. When you have a guy who's shepherding his heart well in his home, he's living things out well in his home, that is the man who is ready for ministry at this church, for any ministry that God has ordained. It doesn't matter whether your ministry is holding babies in the nursery or teaching the six-year-olds or on the setup or serving as a deacon or serving as an elder. Um, The way that you're qualified to do that is you're shepherding your heart and that you're bringing that into your home. If you're doing that well, then your ministry, whatever it is, whether it's a small group leader or anything else, is going to bear a fruit that is sweet and pleasant to the Lord and to those that you are around. You'll interact well with people. The gospel will be coming forth from you and you'll be receiving the gospel well. But if you're not, if you're in a position of ministry and you're not shepherding your heart, you're not taking that into your home, your ministry is going to be characterized by the feel of tasks and assignments, deadlines, dates. It becomes things that you do instead of what kind of man you are. And you don't want to be there. You really don't want to be there. I've seen that at this church in my own life. Others, we want to be men who are ready for the ministry that God has given to us. And you do that by shepherding your heart and into your home. So our first three disciplines are our heart, and our home, and the ministry that God gives us by his grace. The fourth discipline that we have is the qualifications. And it's the, the desire of the elders that every man at, at this church strives to become more and more deacon qualified. It's a really good idea to understand what the deacon qualifications are. In his kindness, God has laid those out for us. They're in 1 Timothy chapter 3. They're in verses 8 through 13. If you're not familiar with them, keep those in front of you. Start reading them on a regular basis and praying over them. It talks about a man who's a good manager of his home. It talks about a man who has a right perspective and a right relationship with alcohol, a right relationship and a right perspective on money, and a lot of things like that. When you shepherd your heart and when you live that out in your home and you're serving well in ministry, you are becoming the kind of man who is is deacon qualified. So the way to become a man who's deacon qualified is is a man who serves. He serves out of what he has in his home and what he has in his home is a result of what he does in his own heart. So we want you to keep in front of yourself, we want us to keep in front of ourselves the qualifications of a man for service. The fifth discipline is the hermeneutic. And this is lived out by the man who's continually growing in his knowledge and his understanding of God and God's character. We have three ways of doing that here at this church. We started a fourth this year. We have what we're doing right now, which is build. and We're becoming united in leadership disciplines. We want every man at our church to go through this because it is so important that every guy understands the importance of shepherding their own heart. For the guy who's demonstrated himself to be faithful and build and he's participated well and he's fellowshiped well and he's he's understanding the idea of shepherding your heart and he's, he's done that well. What we have for people who've done that is H3. This is a great place to go and have wonderful fellowship. But it's a place where we can learn more 
about God's design for us. We can learn how to study scripture. We understand a very practical theology, a very systematic theology. And it ends with taking a weekend retreat for each guy who's been through the program to to preach a 20-minute sermon that God has laid on their heart. And so we, we would love for, for men who've done well here to move on to that. It's a great experience. I, I know a lot of guys in here have been through that. I was blessed when I went through it three years ago. And then we have Grace Bible Institute, GBI, and that's for guys who have a very specific and a very clear ministry objective that is in agreement with the leaders of this church. It aligns well with the purpose of Grace Bible Church. There's specific training that's provided for that. Smet does a lot of that. Praise God. He gives of himself in a great measure for that. So those are the ways that we have for guys to grow at our church. And we want guys to strive for that and to pursue that. And the sixth discipline is the vision of this church and the purpose of this church. We want guys to keep in front of them is, is why we are here as a church. If you're a believer, you're in the universal body of Christ. But if you're at this church, you're at this church. And you fellowship and you live out your faith here. And at this church, what we prize and what we value is three things. It's the glory of God. It's the glory of God that is most clearly demonstrated at the cross of Christ, which when it's applied to a person's life, results in a transformation of life. The glory of God, the cross of Christ, and a transformed life. And we want to do that consistently and regularly at this church. We don't want to have fascinating, exciting programs. We want the same reliable, tried and true method of pursuing God and his glory through the cross and lives that are changed by the, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And we do that by drawing in others. When others come here, we love to build them up with the gospel and in fellowship and an understanding of the body of Christ so that they can be sent out. Sent out first and foremost into their own homes, sent out into their own communities and their jobs, and for some to be sent out across town to another church or across the world to another tribe. So those are the disciplines for our church. Um, We want you to keep those in front of them. They're not part of Scripture, but they have principles that are all over Scripture. Keep those in front of you. That's why we're here. That's what we want to do. So think on those this week. All right. So with that, what we're going to do is we're going to break up into our group. Your your paper-clipped group of papers. What you need in front of you most right now is the yellow sheet. Normally your worksheet is a white one and and there is a white one in there. Um, But what I want you to do is I want you to just set that white one that's stapled aside for a second. What you're going to take notes on today, if you take notes on anything, it's going to be, I'd encourage you to do it on the yellow sheet. um, Because the yellow one's a little bit different than the white one. The white stapled sheet is more like a when you're looking at this thing later, when you're looking at the chart later on your own, and you want to write something down, there's no place to write anything down on this chart. So if you wanted to write something down or you wanted to study more, then you could use the white stapled sheet. Okay, the, the four pages, two pages front and back. That corresponds exactly with what's on here. The yellow sheet follows basically everything that's on here too, but I want to teach a little bit differently um, from just... I don't want to just walk through the card with you. I want to stay in Romans 8 a little bit with you and, and, and do that. So you need the yellow sheet in front of you. That's what we're going to be talking about the most. Okay, does that make sense? All right. Before we dig into God's Word, let's ask for His help again. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we could just even talk about. We could remind ourselves that we could, the homework that we did, that all that your word is and all that um, it achieves in the life of a believer, um, its power, its the hope that it brings, the encouragement, the perseverance that it brings. Um, we are born again because of your word. The, the fear of the Lord cannot take place in my life apart from your word. Sanctification does not take place apart from your truth. Um, I cannot expect to grow in my salvation if I am not intimately pursuing your word. Um, Father, we pray that you would grow our understanding of your word, our commitment to you in it, and that most of all, above all things, that our love and our affections for you and for your son Jesus would grow as we pursue you through your word. Lord, help us to understand now um, what you've revealed about your work of salvation that you have accomplished, Lord, and so that um, the end result today for us would be that we would know why we must shepherd this thing we call the heart. Um, Lord, we need your help. We pray, Lord, that you would make these words clear. Uh, you don't need to make them clear. They already are clear. What you need to do is, is clear away the fog in my, in my mind, in my friends' minds and hearts. Please do that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want you to take your Bibles first, and I want you to open up to Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Uh, I preached this message, at least part of this, what you're going to get today, um, this last summer, a little bit. And what I'm going to do is, as you're turning there, I'll give you a, a brief overview of the chart first. So turn to Romans 8, get ready for verse 5, and then look at your card. This has been, Bob, can I borrow your, your sheet that you showed me earlier? This is a, this is, we believe in, in evolution at some levels. This is called evolution. Okay. Uh, ideas that we had and we've been talking about in regards to what it means to be a Christian. This is what we used to hand out in prior years to build. And uh, as I've been working with the, the ladies in Wellspring, as they teach this and I teach it, we've been uh, just building and building and building. And so you've got this thing. We wanted it to be a little bit more durable. We wanted it to be able to be foldable so that you could, you know, just keep it with you wherever. Um, I, I, this will be a resource I hope that you'll just be able to draw on and, and go to over and over and over. Just to remind yourself who you are in Christ, who you used to be without Christ, and who you will be with Christ uh, when when you were with him. So anyway, let me just point the, the top section out to you, the kind of the white top. Over on your far um, left for you, um, you see the unregenerate man. This is who you were without Christ. Um, you, the members of your body are you like, it's, it's your portions of your body. It's everything from your hands, your, your feet, to also what you do with your thinking and with your speaking. Uh, your members of your body. You have an inner person and you have your outer condition, your outer flesh and, and body um, as an unregenerate person. Um, there's an event that takes place. That's going to be the conversion event. And if you look up, I'll explain the blue sections underneath each one. They don't line up exactly perfectly. So if you look at your chart, I'll try to point it out. You follow the peak on the blue. So if you want to find out what we're trying to say about the unregenerate man, you look at the blue section right underneath it where the peak kind of points up. Okay, and then uh, 
tells you the section that goes with uh, the unregenerate man. If you want to know what we're trying to say about the event, it's kind of hard to put everything that God did through Jesus Christ at the cross and the empty grave in that little section right there. And so you've got this whole next blue section and you follow the peak. And the peak points to the event, so all of this next blue section is the instruction on the event, which is conversion or regeneration. Okay? And then the next main section in the middle in the white is what is called the new creation in Christ. And you'll notice that there's three individuals. And that's not the Trinity. Um, it's, it's, it's to show that there's a process going on in your life. Okay? There's an event in which God saves a sinner, and then there's a process by which the believer continues to grow. And you'll find a, a progression from, um, there's kind of a grayish tint here that there's sin, and um, you're continuing to be less and less uh, characterized by that. We are not trying to say that it is possible at some point in this life to attain sinlessness. It is not possible. The Bible does not teach that. Okay, But what we're trying to show is progressive sanctification. That you're growing more and more in respect to your salvation. You're growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. You're growing in holiness of life. You have an inner man and you have a body that you are uh, living with at the same time. The teaching for that new creation part, you follow the peak on the blue section, okay? You have all of this section that's over here, uh, and it's pointing to the middle of that section there, and that's where you're going to find the instruction on that. Finally, uh, and that's who you are in Christ right now, right? That whole section in the middle, that's who you are in Christ. So this is who you were without Christ. This is who you are in Christ. And over here on the far right is who you will be with Christ when you die or if he comes back today and raptures us, uh, or if we eventually are resurrected as well, if you die and are resurrected. And that's called glorification. Uh, in that case there, uh, you may be without a body. Um, you will be at home with the Lord, but you will be absent from the body, as Paul says. Um, or you, when you're resurrected, you will have a physical body like Christ does in his resurrection but you will have an inner man that will be in complete unison with the outer man. Can you imagine? A body completely unified, no discord. We'll talk more about that. Um, and the teaching that we're trying to show you on that is follow the peak in the blue, and there is uh, all of that underneath there. Now, I'm going to kind of run through that also at different points this morning, so keep that out nearby at least, and get your yellow sheet out. And let's look at Romans 8. Verses 5 down through 13. I'm going to read it. Here we go. For those who are according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh. That's what he says to Christians. However, you are not in the flesh. But you are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, 
So then believers, right? Brethren means believers. We are under obligation. For what? (laughs) Not to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But here's our obligation. By the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body. That's when you live. Okay? Let's talk about number one. Who was I without Christ? We're going to take sections out of 5 to 13 here and describe who I was, who you were without Jesus Christ. Verse 5, he says, For those who are according to the flesh. What is flesh? Flesh in the Bible, you need to let every single passage determine its usage. For instance, Romans 1, I think 4, says... um, who, Jesus was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. In that context, flesh does not have a sinful overtone to it. It's just saying he's human. In this passage, flesh has a sinful overtone to it. Flesh in this context means not the tissue that covers your bones and muscles. It is that which is actually sinfully weak before God. You want to know what flesh is? It is everything about me that is sinfully weak before God. And sinfully falters before God. And the flesh loves to be sinfully weak before God and falter. It loves to fail God in every way possible. That is the flesh in this passage and in a lot of the passages. Uh, that Paul uses. But you need to let every passage determine its usage because it's a flexible term. It's not a rigid term. It's not a technical term that it always means the exact same thing every time you see it. Um, And it says in verse 5 that before Christ, I was according to the flesh. I was according to the flesh. Um, That sinfully weak and faltering condition before God was my standard for living. I have a standard for living, I said, without Christ. And it is to live according to everything that is sinfully weak about me and everything that sinfully falters before God. And that loves to be that. That's my standard. That's what I was like without Christ. That's what you were like without Christ. Look at verse 5. Um... We set our minds on the things of the flesh. We set our minds. Um, who, what's the mind in Scripture? The, the mind in Scripture is, is who you are inwardly before God as a thinker. Who you are inwardly as a thinker before God, as a ponderer before God, as somebody who meditates on stuff. That's who you are in Scripture. It's your mind. So, who I am inwardly before God as a thinker, as a ponder, as a meditator, I took my thinking self and I set it according to the standard that fails God and falters Him and loves to be that. I put my mind on that stuff. I thought about that stuff as a thinker. I was a ponderer on that kind of stuff. I meditated on that kind of stuff. That's what I was about. And notice that you have mind and flesh in this passage. Okay, you're according to the flesh, all that falters. And what does your mind as an unbeliever, what does your thinking self as an unbeliever think about your flesh? Loves it. They are in complete agreement. As an unbeliever, your mind is not in disagreement with your flesh. Your flesh is not in disagreement with your mind. And again, we're not talking about this stuff on your skin. We're talking about your weakness before God, your condition. Look at verse 6. Yo. Uh, That's right. You can ask ask a question. I may not answer it. Okay. 
Just kidding. Um, so the flesh and the mind here aren't the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're not the same thing. But they are in cahoots with one another. Okay. Two different parts of mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, verse, verse 6. The mind's set on the flesh is death. Wow. What does God call that? He calls that condition in which you take your thinking self and you put it on all that is sinfully weak and faltering before God. And he says, that is death. That's God's assessment. That's a dead condition before God. You know this, Ephesians 2.1. You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, right? Look at Romans 8, verse 7. He also says, the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. And, and as such, being hostile towards God, it did not even subject itself to God's law. God comes before that condition and says, I demand a certain way to live. And that person, with that kind of a mind and that kind of a flesh working together, says, that's hostile. I'm going to be hostile towards that. And I will not subject myself to that, God. In that condition, I was only a hostile rebel before God. That's what you were. Who was sinfully weak and you loved it that way. Look at verse 7 again. It does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able. It's not even able to do so in that condition there is no built in capacity at all to be submissive to God that's what Paul is saying in those verses no equipping at all to do God's bidding and it gets worse verse 8 those who are in the flesh and he's not saying by the way those who are human those who have this He's saying those who are in the flesh, who are in a faltering, weak condition, who are in that condition, they cannot even please God. Verse 8. And as such, a person, um, there's no capacity at all to bring any pleasure to God. So it doesn't matter if you change that person's environment. It doesn't matter if you start sending that person to church. It doesn't matter if if you start to just, I'm going to get rid of these old friends and I'm going to get some new friends. Uh, you can add all kinds of things externally to that person and it doesn't make any difference because none of those things has the power to change the internal problem that's going on. Um, how would we summarize this? You're, you're going to hear this term a lot. That is an unmixed condition. That is an unmixed condition. It's unmixed in regards to death before God. It's unmixed in regards to hostility. It's not like there's a little bit of, there's there's some death and there's some life in that condition. No, it is just all death before God. It is not, it's unmixed in hostility towards God. It's not like, well, no, 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 no. About 40% of the time I like God. No, it's just 100% hostility towards God. Um, it is unmixed in rebellion and not being subject. It's like, no, no, no. Sometimes I actually do really genuinely obey God in a way that pleases Him. No, in this condition, never. Never. It is unmixed in inability. It's not like there's some ability to do the good stuff and then 
Most of the time, inability. It's just all inability to even do this. It is unmixed in the fact that it cannot please God. And it is unmixed in the fact that it's not like the mind is warring against the flesh in this condition. No, the mind and the flesh are together in agreement. There is no disagreement. They are not mixed. They are one and the same. They are unmixed. There's no disagreement between the flesh, the mind, the will, the heart, the deeds, and the equipping that's there. The, uh, it's unmixed in that there's no conflict in this condition. There's no conflict. There's no friction. There's no disagreement. And the New Testament calls this condition, this person, the old man or the old person. This is the old man. The old man. Now look at your card. Look on the left side at the unregenerate man. This is who a person is without Jesus. It's an unmixed sinful condition. Look at Ephesians 2. In fact, you know what I need you to do? I need you to turn actually to Ephesians 2 for just a moment. Verse 3. I want you to see a couple of these passages. Because I want to draw out a couple of things that the card just doesn't isn't capable of doing it it would be too long all of them too we formerly lived in the lusts of our among them too we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh verse 3 Ephesians 2 3 indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind again flesh and mind put together and they both have desires and they are unified desires they are not desires that are competing against each other they are the same desire your flesh has a desire your mind has a desire they are in complete agreement together go to chapter 4 of Ephesians verse 17 so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind Verse 18, being darkened in their understanding. Okay, so now you've got mind and now you've got understanding. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of the heart. So now you've got mind, you've got your understanding, you've got heart put out there. Verse 19, they become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So get this, the mind, the understanding the heart, and whole self just given over to sin. Do you see? I mean, there's no disagreement anywhere. You can slice man up however you want to talk about what he's like as a thinker, as, a, as the heart, as the inner person, in terms of his understanding. It doesn't matter what you talk about. The whole self is given over to sensuality. How about Philippians 3? Turn there, verse 18. Paul says, For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And then he describes them. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, literally their, their belly. It's whatever their desires want. They, that's, what they, that's their God. Okay, so get this. Now you add to it your appetites, your desires, your belly. Um, Whose glory, even add that, your, your glory, whatever you think, whatever man in this condition thinks is his weightiness, his impressiveness, that is his shame. And they set their minds on earthly things. So again, now you've got all kinds of stuff you can add together. Your mind, 
your heart, your flesh, your understanding, um, your appetites, your glory, whatever you think it is about you that's glorious and weighty. You just put it all together and there's not one bit of it that's in competition or in conflict with another part of it. It is all in agreement to run away from God. It is not even able in that condition to subject itself to God. It doesn't want to. It is an unmixed condition. All of it is in agreement. Look at the key descriptions down at the bottom of your blue card on that side. Your key descriptions. It's an unmixed condition. There is absolutely no fight within against sin. So there's not a fight against sin. And there's not a fight positively for Jesus in that condition. Um, It is one that, according to these other passages that you can read, is dominated by and enslaved to sin. That's the Romans 6. Yeah, Kyle. Um, I just have a question about that. Yeah. No fight within. How does, I guess, the conscience play a role in Romans 2 and the fight with the law of God? Yeah. That would be. Yeah, finish your question. Oh, no, there is. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it is. There, there is. We are not. That's God's grace to humanity, because not every sinner is as bad as he could be. Can you imagine what this world would be like if, as in this unmixed condition, we all raced towards the end as far as we could in our sin? Michael. Question. He was asking about the conscience. In, in, in what sense is the conscience? And, and that would be that would be a good qualifier for us to come on this to talk about that. Yeah, but I, I don't think that an unbeliever when their conscience is correct. Their conscience isn't saying, Man, I'm not glorifying God. Their conscience isn't correct because they care about God. Their conscience is correct because there's some something else. Yeah, in fact, the conscience, if the conscience is in, is a, the conscience in some level in an unbeliever, and you can go to Romans 2 for a minute, I'll show you this. The conscience at some level is a contrarian to what the flesh and the mind and the heart are all engaged in unanimously. Um, but look what, look what Paul says in Romans 2, verse 15. The Gentiles show that they, the work of the law is written in their hearts. So, so the basic principle of an accomplishment that the, the law is supposed to achieve is at work in the, 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 the Gentile. And their conscience bearing witness. And their thoughts are doing what? Alternatively, else accusing or else defending them. They're being accused and they're, 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 or, or trying to defend them, but there's no hope for them because on, there's a day coming, according to the gospel, when they will have to stand before God. It's, not a, it's a blessing from God that sinners have the conscience, but the conscience is uh, resisted even when it is, it is resisted in a way that is still just rebellion against God. Um, but I want to give some more thought to that. That's a great question, Kyle. I appreciate that. Um, so there's your descriptions down at the bottom. 
Romans 6 and the verses 17 to 23 talks about slavery to sin. Um, sin rules our choices, our attitudes, our relationships. And in that condition, the, the second bullet point from the bottom on that side of your card, it, in that condition, you're unable to shepherd your heart away from sin and to God. There's, this condition has no use for discipline one of what we're trying to talk about in the build. It has no use for it. It's like like a, a slug has no use for a cell phone. I mean, it doesn't even, it has no capacity for it. It has no desire for it. it has, there's no use for it. It doesn't even make sense. And that is a condition that is under God's wrath. Um, so now let's talk about the conversion event. And for this one, I want you just to look at the chart. We're going to watch this. This is, praise God for the gospel, guys. This is conversion. This is accomplished by God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guys, look at that picture of the guy over on your left side. Everything we just talked about, unmixed in rebellion, unmixed in hostility towards God, unmixed in every possible way, setting your mind on earthly things. People who would rather live for their own appetites rather than live for God. All of that. What is God's answer to that? His answer is in the foundational truths of the gospel. Here's God's answer to your unmixed sin. Jesus Christ suffering, being crucified. That is God's answer for this condition. What is God's answer to that condition? Raising Jesus Christ from the dead. God looks at what we were and he says, my son must suffer. That's my answer to this. My son will suffer. My son will rise from the dead. What's God's answer? Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and call men and women and boys and girls to repentance and faith. That's God's answer to this condition. And there's even more. Look down in the second part, number two. The benefits of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is God's answer to this deplorable condition you're in? It is regeneration. How does God solve and address this problem? I'll cause you to be born again. God has no desire to take you and to try to restore you like an old jalopy. He just says, we're starting over. That's his answer to this condition. What's his answer to this condition? I'm going to unite you with Christ. Your huge problem over here is you are without Christ. What does God the Father love the most? He loves his son. So what is he going to do to fix your problem? He's going to unite you with his son. But watch how he does it in these passages. You need to soak in this. He unites you with Christ crucified. He unites you in his death and in his burial. He unites you with him in his resurrection. He unites him with him in his ascension into heaven. That's God's answer to this. How bad was that condition? God didn't look around in his toolbox and go, ah, what could I use to fix that? Ah, I think this will work. He took his son and he took you and he united you with him in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. That's God's answer to what you were. God's not messing around. He threw everything he had at it to fix it. What is, it, what is his answer to this? It's adoption. What's his answer to what you were? He just adopts you. He makes you his child. What's his answer to this? He expiates your sin. He takes it out of his sight. What's his answer to this? He propitiates his wrath. He makes his son. He says, here's the cup. I know you don't want to drink it. You need to drink it. And the son says, not my will be done, but your will be done. And he drank the whole thing so that you would no longer be this way. So he could propitiate his wrath. 
satisfy. What's God's answer to your condition? It is redemption. He redeemed you. There was only one currency that would ever work. And it is the currency of his son's blood. All of the other currencies that were used in the Old Testament, the blood of goats and and bulls and calves, could not take away sin. But there was a blood currency that could. It is his son's. And he paid the price to redeem us out of that condition. What is God's answer to this? Reconciliation. To make peace between us and him. What is God's answer to this? Condition, positional sanctification to declare you once and for all holy in his sight. What's God's answer to this? To declare you righteous on the basis of faith alone, to justify you. My goodness, can you think of, I mean, that's overwhelming what God has done. That is his answer to the problem of what it was. And it is an event. And it's called conversion. You must be converted. And all of these things take place in the conversion event. They overlap. Some of them happen before others, but they are simultaneously taking place. And then there's positional realities that you experience as a result of that. Look at number three in that section. You are now holy and beloved of God. What were you before? You were a hostile rebel. You were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You were according to the flesh. You were in the flesh. You were not in the Spirit. Now the Spirit is in you. Christ lives within you. You are members now of Christ's body. He makes you a part of the body of Christ. Christ becomes the head of that body. You become members of one another. God will complete His work in you. Uh, You have confident access to God in this condition. You are under His grace. You live under the power of God's grace now. Romans 6. Your sins are forgiven. You are saved from God's wrath. You are free from condemnation. You've been washed. You have peace with God. You are a new creature in Christ. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit now. You are freed from sin because of what God did. You are enslaved to God. Obedience and righteousness. And wherever you see that there is not a, um, a scriptural reference behind it, it's because it still goes with the one before it. Um, Jesus will never desert you or forsake you in this. Guys, nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, because of what he did. Not because you're trying hard to do your best. It's because of this event, what God did. You've been created for good works. Ephesians 2.10, you are in Christ's kingdom. You've been transferred. And the response to this preaching and all of this that goes on is repent and belief. This is God's answer to your condition before. What you were. As an unmixed rebel in every possible way. It doesn't matter which way you sliced it with you. You were just unmixed in your hostility towards God. And this is what God did to bring that to an end. That's, you just go home and just rest. That's amazing. But that's not all there is. That's the conversion event. Um, Number three, who am I now in Christ? Who am I now in Christ? Go back to Romans 8. Back to Romans 8. He, He united you with Christ crucified, Christ raised from the dead, 
Christ ascended on high. And what is the result of now being in Christ? Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Who are you now in Christ? We are those now who are according to the Spirit. Remember how before the flesh was our standard that we lived by. The flesh was sinfully weak and sinfully falters before God. And we said, you know what? I want my mind as a thinker, as a ponderer, as a meditator. I want my mind on that. And that's my standard for living. What's the new standard for living? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of holiness. Now, you are according to that. You are according to that. And you set your mind according to that spirit, that standard. Look at verse 6. The mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. What a contrast to the old man. The mind set on, on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Look at Romans 8 verse 9 however you are not in the flesh but you are in the spirit now now full stop for a second he is not trying to say you are now no longer in this condition never ever influenced by flesh he is in the flesh is a condition and in the flesh condition is one that is given over in sin in the spirit is a different condition This one over here is spiritless. This one has spirit. And this one still has the influence of the flesh. Right? But he says, you, verse 9, are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So the spirit of God dwells in you, You are no longer in the flesh like you used to be. Oh, you're influenced by the flesh, but you are no longer in the flesh like you used to be, like he just described. You are not that condition found back in verse 5 and in verse 6 and verse 7 and in verse 8. You are not in that condition anymore. The very fact, verse 9, that the Spirit of God dwells in you tells you instantly that this new condition you are in there's going to be some conflict. Why? Because in this body of sin, there is now also what? Who? The Spirit of God. Where does that con- Who introduced that conflict? God did. In the conversion event. Look at verse 10. If Christ is in you... No, you got Christ in you too. Man... That's going to be some serious conflict going on inside you. Christ in you, spirit in you. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. I cannot think of a clearer description in Scripture than this one of a mixed condition. You are in the body, and the body is dead because of sin. The, your, your body includes your flesh your fleshliness your sinfully weak 
faltering condition before God. Your body includes that, but you have Christ in you and you have the Spirit in you. That is a dramatically mixed condition. Is it not? And that, verse 10, is the new creation. That is what it means to be a new creature in Christ, guys. It is not the far right-hand side of your chart. That is not the new creation. The new creation is a mixed one in which you are nothing like you used to be before in so many ways because over here you are completely unmixed, but now there is a major conflict going on inside because you still got the body and there's sin in the body, but now you've got Christ in you. And now you have the Spirit in you. And that is something new that you never had before. It is a new creation. Look at verse 11. What's going to happen? If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. I think that's pointing ahead to the glorified man because he's already mentioned in verse 6 that the one whose mind is set on the spirit is presently life if your mind right now is set on the spirit you have life that is life verse 10 if yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness your spirit is alive right now because of righteousness verse 11 he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also, future tense, will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So there's a day coming when there will be a new life with a body that comes. So what? You say all this, great. Here's the so what, verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation. Okay? You are under obligation, guys, now, in this new creation condition for what? Not to the flesh. You are under obligation, guys, no longer to put yourself according to the standard of your sinfully weak and faltering flesh. That is no longer what you are obligated to, what you must look at, what you must set your standard according to. You are not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. That living according to the flesh standard is a condition of death and you must die. But, here's what you're under the obligation for. If by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you live. By the Spirit, in this condition, in this body, you put to death the deeds of the body. You mortify sin. You put sin to death in this condition. Listen, that is a radically different condition than anything you ever had before. There was nothing in here that wanted sin to die. It only protected sin and said, I want more. I love it. I'm not going to subject myself to the law of God. I'm not even able to. Over here you're saying, I am able to. And I have to and I want to. I am under obligation to do so on the basis of what? That you walked an aisle? No, on the basis of everything that God did in answer to this problem. On the basis of what He did in conversion and in the gospel, you are under obligation, men, to set your life according to the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God, and in you, 
In this body, you put to death the deeds of the body. That's what we do. That's what it means to be a Christian. It is a messy fight. It is an ugly fight. It is a glorious fight because you never fought before. Our foundation in Christ is designed by God to support, guys, a radical fight. It's designed by God. He, when, when he came and he, he laid a foundation in your life with Jesus Christ and everything he did in the gospel, when he laid that foundation, do you know what he did not build? He didn't build Disneyland. He didn't build a spiritual Disneyland. He did not build a resort vacation place for you, spiritually. You know what he built in that foundation? A boxing ring. And he said, now get up on it and fight. This is what it means to be a Christian. Get up on the, on the scene and fight your sin. Fight against it. Fight for Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to fight. Now, I would have just skipped this whole part. If I had been my thinking, why would you want even there to be a fight? Why not just total and complete domination and victory? Let's just skip over this card. Let's make it a lot shorter. We'll just do it like this. Ta-da, that's my plan. Go from unmixed to unmixed. No fight, just... This glorifies God. He wants it this way. It's his wisdom that in an earthen vessel like you, a frail earthen vessel, he would put the treasure of the gospel within. That's a mixed condition. And that you would fight. And that is for his glory. That is to magnify him. Look at the strengths and weaknesses of this, guys. You know what you're able to do in this new creation? Uh, you're able to grow in respect to salvation through the word. We looked at that in First Peter this morning. You're able to obey. You have strength now to be controlled by Christ's love. You have the ability to love God. You have the ability to love neighbor. You have the ability given by God to love your enemies. You can forgive others. You can be thankful now. You have the ability to repent. You can lay aside falsehood and speak truth. You are equipped to be diligent. You have uh, everything it takes to clothe yourself with humility. You, have, you can walk by the Spirit. You can see your own sinfulness now. You can... Uh, deny yourself. You can walk in newness of life. You have the ability to overcome evil with good. You can cleanse yourself from defilement of the flesh and of the spirit. You, you can love the saints. You can grow in faith. You can persevere in affliction. You can confess and hate sin now. You can be eager for good deeds. You have strength now from God that the Holy Spirit enables you to be renewed and to be strengthened. Guys, you've got all kinds of strengths here that you are able to do now. None of that was possible before. None of it. Ah, oh, but you're still vulnerable. Because you're in this body. And so you're vulnerable. What are you vulnerable to? This is what the New Testament says. Right now, you are vulnerable to. You are vulnerable to being deceived. You are vulnerable to legalism. You are vulnerable to love the world. You're vulnerable to false teaching. You're vulnerable uh, to being self-confident and proud. You are susceptible to abusing your freedoms that you have. You are susceptible to being entangled by sin. You are susceptible to leaving the first love that you had, which is for Jesus. You're susceptible to immorality. In this condition, we're susceptible to being self-confident and proud. We're susceptible right now to quench the Spirit. Why 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 would we be commanded to not quench the Spirit if it wasn't a possibility? It is a possibility. 
We're susceptible to growing weary and doing good. We're susceptible to living as if we are in the world still. We're susceptible to desiring enslavement to do worthless things. The flesh's desires and weaknesses are there. Temptation is still there. Sin is still there. We're being led astray from devotion to Christ at times. Strife and jealousy and anger and disputes and slanders and gossip and arrogance and disturbances and failure to repent is still... We're vulnerable to these things. We forget purification from our former sins coming short of God's grace, bitterness. Amazing strengths given to us by God in conversion. Sobering weaknesses that remain today. Key descriptions of this new condition, a mixed condition. It's a mixed condition. There's a fight within you a fight against sin. You want to talk about the fight negatively? We fight against sin. Fight positively. We fight for Jesus, for obedience to Jesus. We are easily entangled by sin still. But, distinction, we're not under the dominion of sin. Sin is not our slave master, but Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Boy, we get entangled by sin sometimes, do we not? God changed us when he saved us, but do you know that he did not change the nature of sin when he saved you? He changed your nature. He changed your condition. You are no longer a slave to sin, but sin is still what sin is. And whenever sin has an opportunity, guess what it tries to do? If it cannot enslave you anymore, guess what it will try to do? Entangle you and trip you. We're enslaved to God now. Righteousness, obedience, Romans 6. And in this condition, we are able to shepherd our hearts away from sin. There's only one person that discipline one and build makes sense for. It's not the unbeliever for you over here. It's not the glorified saint over here. It's for the believer. There's only one person who does it. It's the one who's in a mixed condition. It's a renewable condition. Think about this, guys. The new creation in Christ is a renewable one. The new creation in Christ is not a perfect condition all the way through in regards to your practice of living. The new creation is a renewable one. You renew your minds with the truth. Who will I be with Christ? Number four. Back to your outline. Who will I be with Christ? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 50. This will be when I die. This will be when I am in heaven. Where if I am raptured today, it also includes the resurrection body. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Verse 50. Paul says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The human condition as the flesh and blood as it is right now, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will, all, we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this, imp- uh, when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who will I be with Christ? Well, I'll be in an imperishable condition. Imperishable means that we're incapable of being corrupted. This body right now is so capable of being corrupted. But we will be in a condition incapable of being corrupted. Incapable of perishing. This body here can perish. And in that condition, of that imperishable condition, there will be no trace anywhere of corruption or that which is perishable within it. Look at verse 52. This is said, the dead will be raised imperishable. Verse 53, this perishable must put on the imperishable. Verse 54, this perishable will have put on the imperishable. Look at verse 53. Another way to talk about it. I will put on a condition that is marked by immortality. For this, verse 53, for this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. Immortality means there's no trace anymore of that which is death or that can die or taste death. To be immortal is to be beyond the reach of death. So in that condition coming, death will have no touch on me, on you. Uh, Verse 54. But when this perishable will put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality. See it there? Uh, Verse 54, the rest of it. Then will come about this amazing statement. Okay? So when the perishable puts on imperishableness and when the mortal puts on immortality, then you'll see this amazing thing. Death is swallowed up in victory. That new condition that we'll be in, guys, it will be a condition marked by total and complete victory, and victory in particular over death. There will be nothing in that condition of any trace of a tie between death and life. Um, There will be no trace of a close call with death. There will only be the presence of total victory over death in that condition. No trace of death, no trace of death's former victories over humanity in this condition. Look at verse 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Can't find it anywhere. I'm looking in that condition. Can't be seen anywhere. Verse 55. Where is your sting? There's not going to be any trace in that condition of death's sting. You see, before death comes, its sting comes. It's just like a, a serpent or a scorpion. Before death comes, it has to what? Sting you. The sting comes first and then comes death. And in that condition, where's the sting? I can't find the sting. Well, what is the sting? The sting of death is sin. So why is there no death and why is there no sting? Because sin is gone. Sin is completely gone. And the power of sin is the law. In that condition, someday with Christ, there will be no trace of sin. There will be unmixed holiness, guys, in that condition. Unmixed holiness. Unmixed purity. Unmixed righteousness. There will be no trace of sin, no trace of its stinging effect that leads to death. 
And where does sin get the power to usher in death when it stings? Where does sin get that power? The power of sin, verse 56, is the law. God's laws set before the sinner condemn the sinner. And that is what then gives power to sin. The power is one of condemnation. It's the power of condemnation for, for disobedience. That's the power of sin which then stings and leads to death. So in other words, in that condition in Christ someday, there'll be no trace of that power of unfulfilled or disobedient law. Get this, in that condition, there's no trace anywhere of your disobedience ever to God's law because that's the power of sin. And the power of sin stings and sting of of sin is death. It's all wiped out. It's all gone. It is unmixed life. It is unmixed holiness. It is unmixed power. Verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That condition that's coming one day, guys, for us is one of total and complete victory because of Jesus Christ. How do you summarize that condition? That is an unmixed condition. Do you guys understand the mixed and unmixed way that it goes? Unmixed in sin, and on the other side, unmixed in holiness, in life, purity, righteousness. Unmixed over here, unmixed over here. Completely two different kinds of unmixed conditions, though. Completely the opposite. And that's where I say it would have been my plan. Let's just skip this whole thing in the middle. Let's just go from one unmixed to the best unmixed, right? But God puts us into what kind of a condition now? Mixed. Mixed. No trace of death in that condition over there. Unmixed life. No trace of the uh, sting of death by sin. No trace of the powerful poison of sin, which is disobeyed and disregarded law. So before Christ, I was an absolutely hideously unmixed condition before Christ. With Christ someday, it would be an absolutely glorious unmixed condition. That's what we have to look forward to. Now I want to make a couple of observations. Oh, you can see the key descriptions down at the bottom of glorification. Unmixed condition, no fight within, perfect slavery to God, righteousness, obedience. There's no disagreement there between resurrection body and heart and mind Um, and when there is no resurrection body and you are at home with the Lord but absent from a body there's no disagreement within you anymore you're home with Jesus okay over here have absolutely no reason or capacity use for discipline one over here you have absolutely no reason or capacity for shepherding your heart to God. You don't need to. Because you just do. That's just who you are now. Here in the middle, guess what, guys? Every day, shepherd your heart. Um, let me talk about relationship between these conditions for a moment. Guess what you are today in your union with Christ, <clears throat> it is not the unmixed condition that you were before. It's not. That has passed away. Can you ever, based on what God says he achieved in conversion, listen carefully, can you ever go back 
If what God said is true that he did in Jesus Christ, can you ever go back as an unmixed rebel, hostile to God, not subject to the law of God, not even able to do so? Are you able to go back? No. That has passed away. What you are today is not that. And you can never go back to it. Do you understand that? Not saying that you can't sin, but it's different. It's different now. You cannot go back to what has passed away. The old self was crucified with Jesus at the cross. Did God really kill his son? You can count on it. Did he really kill your old self? You can count on it. Now, what you are today is not what you will be. Guys, you may today wish that you would act with purity of motive all of the time. You may wish today that there was no conflict within you from your flesh, that your flesh never tormented you ever again in decision-making or in the way that you talk to your, your roommates or your wife or your kids. You may wish that you never had that anymore, that you were never plagued again. But guys, that's not where you're at. And God's plan is equally that you cannot right now, right now, God's plan today is, is that you can't go back to what you were and his plan today is that you cannot yet be what you will be. His plan today is that you would be who you are in Christ, that you would understand it and that you would fight, that you would shepherd your heart to the word of God to know God, to explore this. Oh my goodness, what has he done for us in Christ? Let me take you to the conclusion. I just gave it away for you. It's number five. God has put us into a condition, guys, that provides for us the ability to shepherd our hearts. Um, It demands strength that we would come and we would be disciplined with who we are inwardly, that we would be disciplined to bring who we are inwardly before God to the Word of God and we would expose our hearts to the Word of God so that we might know Him, so that we might love Him, that we might pursue Him, so that we would understand His equipping that He has given to me so that I can obey, so that I know what His rules are for me in Christ so that I can do them. He has given me this capacity to do that. If I choose to live as a man who puts this away or just neglects it, just gets sloppy, tell me Is there anything in the totality of your condition right now that will exploit that? It is called flesh. It's called your indwelling sin. And all it takes for your sin to advance is that you do nothing. Because even when you're doing this, sin still gets its day sometimes in you. Does it not? So put this away. Neglect your that discipline and you tell me what's going to happen. You're going to become a better man? Again, what did he send, what did he save you to stand on? Here's what, let me give you another illustration. When he did everything that he did in Christ, he did not build a slide for you. To get on in Christ and you just sit on it and 
I don't have to work to go down. It just pulls me down, and I just go exactly where I'm supposed to go. He did not set you on a slide. If he did anything, he put you on an uphill, and he said, no, go. And you can sit there on the side of a hill and you can look up and you can will that you would go up. You can preach to yourself, I'm climbing. But if you don't put one foot in front of another and if you don't reach up and grab and pull and go, you will not ascend. You have to fight. If there's anything that we want to get out in front of you today at the beginning of build, it's that you need to understand that you are in a condition in which discipline one is a non-negotiable. You must come to the Word of God. He gave you the Word of God to know the condition of your heart. He gave you the Word of God so that it could restore your soul. He gave you the Word of God so that you could be sanctified. He gave you the Word of God so that you could be taught and, and reproved and corrected and trained in righteousness. He gave you all of this. You need this. And to neglect it is foundational foolishness in, in a man's life. Trust me. I know. Don't neglect God's word, guys. Any thoughts or questions or Tom, Scott, any elders? Jake, want to add anything? Hmm. Trevor. Just a question in in regards to um, what you just said, how when Christ saved us, it's impossible to go back to that natural man. How does God's sovereign man Gotcha. Go to go to Colossians three. Great question. Colossians is like some of Paul's other letters where he lays out his doctrine, um, the foundation and the promises of the gospel and foundational truths that you are to rest on, that you are to believe entrust yourself to and then the last half of his letter is now on the basis of that here come the commands right you guys understand that Colossians is this way look at chapter 3 verse 1 if you have been raised up with Christ did you raise yourself up with Christ no he's still talking about what God did with you in Christ if you have been raised up with Christ keep seeking the things above command Okay, so it begins with, now, on the basis of what he has done, keep seeking the things above. And yes, what does that mean? I think that means read your Bible a lot. Because how do you know what the things above are? Keep seeking these things. Where Christ is. How do I know where Christ is? This tells me where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So, there's, there's... Now, a negative to not do, don't turn and put my mind on the things that I see the world is after. Why? Because I've died. That what I was before has died. And now, get this, my life is hidden with Christ in God. If you want to hide something good so nobody can see what it is, 
put it with Christ in God. Who can get there right now? So your life right now, though we've been told so much in here about what this life in Christ is, do you really know what your life is yet? It's hidden with Christ in God. Watch this. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. You want to know what you really are? You will not fully know until He comes back and you are revealed with Him in all of the glory. Okay, so yeah, you just set your mind on the things there. Now watch what he does. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. First thing, count, reckon that this, the members of this body are dead. Dead to what? Dead to sin. Why is it dead to sin? Because it actually is. It can be. I'm dead to immorality, dead to impurity, dead to passion, evil desire, dead to greed, dead to that which amounts to idolatry. It's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them I also once walked when I was living in them. But now you also put them all aside. So what do I do? Um, I I go on a, a, a search and destroy mission in my life looking for sin. And where I see these things, I count the members of my body as dead to them. Foundational. I count myself as dead to them to begin with. And then I've got to work on putting these things away. Um, And Ephesians 4 is a great counter chapter to this. Because, for instance, uh, stop lying to one another. Okay, I see, okay, I I have lying in my heart. Okay, what is God... I count my members as dead to that, okay? And I, that means stop lying. Okay, great, I'm done. No, you're not. Ephesians 4 says where you see something like that, you now also do the positive opposite. Speak the truth to one another. So now wherever I see lying in my life, I not only just seek to stop lying, I seek to tell the truth. Ephesians 4, where I was stealing, repentance is not... I just stop stealing from people. Now, Ephesians 4 says, I work with my hands in order to have something so that I can give. So I go on a search and destroy mission in my life looking for these things and I, I come to the Word of God. It has to begin with setting your mind. The Christian life is fought first and most in the mind for right thinking. Is this right, Tom? Am I right talking about fighting at the mind level first. You've got wrong thinking. It's going to be hard to think rightly about your deeds that you're doing and your sin that you're doing and what you need to repent of. Fight to set your mind on the right things first and then you must follow through by looking for the things. That's why the New Testament epistles are so helpful from Paul. Um, you get And it, you can just keep following down through Colossians 3 there. Ephesians 4 is great that way. Galatians 5 and 6 will be helpful. Um, other places like that. I think what's helpful is to, to remind yourself that sin rule and reign over you as a broker. Uh, it's very helpful when you're facing sin to just claim to yourself the truth of the gospel that when Christ saved you, he broke sin rule and reign over you. That's half the battle there is remembering that that thing that used to rule over you no longer does. And that Christ is now your master. Yeah, there's a there's 
that the Galatians, they knew that they were started by the Spirit, right? They knew that it was by the Spirit that they were changed. They became this new man. And Paul, and they fell into a, a trap of thought. I just need to do it. And Paul said, you were begun by the Spirit. What makes you think you're going to be perfected by the flesh? And he exhorted them to obedience through faith and independence on the Holy Spirit. And I think that that's what most Scott said. Half the battle is recognizing who you are and God's role in this. And then the fight looks completely different when you say, in Colossians, don't lie to one another. If it's merely a willpower, I need to not lie. I need to not lie. I need to not lie. That looks very different than saying, I'm not a liar. That's who I was. I now have the spirit in me. My mind has been renewed. My heart has been put in conflict with this flesh. And now it's a fight by faith in what God has already accomplished versus just trying to willpower. So I keep in mind, I began by the spirit. What makes me think I'm going to be perfected by the flesh? I'm not. So we're dependent on the spirit to start. We're dependent on the spirit to finish. Yeah, absolutely. It's good work. Yeah, the uh, tale of the uh, unmixed condition, one of the verses that cited, if, if the believer dies, the second one says, be with Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. It is helpful for me to, to keep that in mind. Verse 9 says, So we make it our goal to please him. Yes, Scott just said, you know, this is a battle of thought. This is putting on the right thinking. <coughs> we need to be men that are have a desire for thinking. I don't want to live a life that is pleasing to him. That's our job. We're pleasing to God. So the day we die, it, it's helpful for me to be looking forward to what type of man I need to be. I need to be a man that pleases my God. That's good. My experience with sin has so much to do with my affection on a day-to-day basis. Like I think that for me, it's just imperative to be making my heart feel every day like it has to feel. Um, I guess just my, I guess just to highlight that I'm gonna see you when know, I'm not spending time in God's Word, I'm spending time with the Lord. Like you said, my heart grows its old. My affection for Christ weakens, and then it doesn't just weaken without some other effect. My affection towards sin increases. And so I need to be coming to God's word so that I can hate what's evil and hold fast to what's good and I need to make my heart feel like it must so I can live the word of God. Yeah. Make it think as it should think. Think, yes. Yeah. Look at, let's, let's finish, let's look at second. Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. Now Paul is dealing with all kinds of external things that are crushing him. Lots of persecution. And it, it puts him in a place where he draws a distinction between his inner man and his outer man. Uh, it's, it's good for us, though, we're not maybe talking about being crushed from the outside by persecution, but sometimes we're crushing ourselves from the inside out because of our sin. 
Notice the distinction that he gives in verse 16. Therefore, we Christians, Paul as a preacher of the gospel, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. An inner man condition that's renewable day by day, that is the new creation in Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. And you come to the Word of God to be renewed every day. Let's pray, guys. Heavenly Father, we worship you and we glorify you for your work in Jesus Christ to save us. God, thank you so much for the power of the gospel of your Son. It has the power for salvation to everyone who believes. God, thank you for doing for me what I could never do for myself. Thank you for continuing to do for me what I cannot do all by myself, which is sanctifying myself. Lord, we are men who are in desperate need of you. We see this. We understand this. Lord, I hope better today that though you have done many great things for us and there are are numerous, almost uncountable strengths for us, there are also numerous weaknesses that still beset us that require us to fight, that require us to climb, but to not do it in the flesh, but to rely upon your spirit and your word to do so. I pray, God, for these men. I pray for the men of Grace Bible Church that we would be men who would labor diligently. We would discipline ourselves to bring ourselves before your word so that we might worshipfully draw near to you, so that we would express love for you, that we would express our desire for you, that we would express our need for you, that we would come to put on the armor of God so that we would fight for holiness of life, that we would do it together, God, as men in the church, that we would take opportunities this year and build to gather together to help fortify one another in this pursuit of your son Jesus. Lord, take our church and strengthen it Make us men that when we sin, we are quick to see it, confess it, forsake it, repent of it. Father, we need your help. We call upon you. We draw near to you and pray that you would bless the rest of our day. May our family and whoever else we are with, those that we work for and with, may they be blessed because of what we spent time soaking in this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks so much for coming. Uh, two weeks from today, I think it's October 6th, is it? Your, or is it which? Is it the 12th? I'm sorry. October 12th. Whatever it says on your calendar at the beginning. Can I take a picture? Yes, October 12th. Thanks, guys. You're dismissed. Please eat some more food. Take it with you.